I'm going to be preaching this morning a pre-Easter message. God has given me a new insight on an ancient account of a miracle. And so if you have your Bibles and will turn with me to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. In fact, we find four separate examples in Scripture of Jesus raising the dead. And each miracle prefigured Jesus' own resurrection. It was in some way inspiring in a particular way. But something about Luke 7 that is stirring me today, I want to preach a message entitled, Touching the Heart of God. Touching the Heart of God. Only Luke tells us of the son of the widow at the city of Nain. And these events tell us some, something very powerful about the resurrection life. Luke 7, verse 11, we have a few verses if, since it's so brief, and, and I know that you've been standing, but I want to read uh, this portion, verse, beginning in verse 11, and it came to pass the day after, that is, the centurion servant was healed up in Capernaum, all right? But after that, he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold... There was a dead man carried out. And then the scripture becomes very detailed. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. Now that's twice we have seen that Jesus had a large group with him. I don't know the number, but large is large. And there was also a large group with her because she was uh, in this plight, lost her husband, lost her son, and they were in the process of carrying him out of the city. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the buyer, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man... I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about, it was far-reaching. I am preaching from the subject, Touching the Heart of God. If you could lay your Bibles down, will you pray with me for God's anointing upon his minister today? Could we pray? Come on. Dear Lord, we come to you right now in Jesus' name. We're getting a glimpse of you in this pre-Easter conquering of death. And I pray that the Holy Ghost will anoint us, that hearts will feel it and know it, that they will shut out everything else and hear the voice of God. We want to know your heart. Touch our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Could you just clap your hands and give him a bit of praise before you're seated? Praise God. I feel like there's some apostolics in the building. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I, I, you can be seated. I know you can tell I'm stirred up, but I'm, I'm not going to be too wound up. Amen. 
So we're given the location of a miracle in a very small town near the Sea of Galilee. There's considerable discussion about the city of Nain, and it's, there is a current city, little tiny city of Nain. And I'm going to assume, for those that might think otherwise, that it is that city. This city, of course, is south of Capernaum, where the miracle took place that opens the account in Luke 7 and verse 11. So here is the little uh, Sea of Galilee, and just north of it there on its uh, western northern shore is the city of Capernaum. And so... It was, of course, a familiar and often visited place for Jesus. But, of course, in between Capernaum and the sea and Nain is another town. I, I'm going to guess. I'm not, I'm not being precise here. I'm just sort of thinking. I'm not really trying to give precise figures. If anybody's soul depends on this, be sure to check it, all right? If your soul depends on this, check it. I would say it's almost equidistant between... Capernaum, where the centurion's servant is healed, and Nain, where our story begins, it is about equidistant. And it is almost for certain that between Nazareth and Nain, the city that is halfway in between, not directly, but if you're going south, you could head over to the city that was, in fact, the Lord's hometown the city of Nazareth. And so it is that for whatever reason, and I always assume that God knows and has a plan before he ever gets there and that nothing takes him by surprise. Any more than anything here today is a surprise to God. Hallelujah. You didn't get here by accident. Nobody is sitting here because you just happened to be here. God knows exactly what's going on. So little is known of the city but the Bible said that they were coming through its gates. Now, that's of interest because when you think of the gates of the city, does anybody feel the Holy Ghost that's here right now? Hallelujah. Can we just clap our hands one more time? Can we give him a little bit of praise? Hallelujah. Oh, I wish I had some voice. A little known city and its gates. Now, many have many uh, really super smart theologians thought that it couldn't be a real city because the Nain has no gates whatsoever. And uh, therefore, this city had to have gates. It had to be something else. Somebody got it goofed up and so on. But of course, every city has a gate. What they were assuming is that the gates meant it was a fortified city and this city was not fortified. It could not have been if it's Nain, that is the current Nain that of which I described. Can everybody say praise the Lord? Don't, don't look too worried. I know you're thinking, whoa, he's, he's getting really into this. We could be here a while. No, no, no. Just give me a moment. So the Bible specifically in these short few verses lets us know that this crowd meets up with the crowd Jesus has with him at the gate of the city of Nain. So therefore, these gates were simply the entryway into this fairly small town of which I will not venture to uh, suppose its actual size 2,000 years ago. I don't know. No one knows. For it was too small to even have been fortified. It is so small that it is controversial as to its origin and so forth. It makes no difference. In fact, 
That to me is the point. Nain was very, very small. And it was also true that uh, it was near Jesus' own hometown. And the Lord has ordained that all of this will go to demonstrate, of course, that God is not moved by the great and the grandiose. He is not moved by the famous and the possessed. He's not moved by what you have and where you've been. He isn't concerned about the size and the greatness of all of that. The choice of name points to God's tenderness toward the underdog and the forgotten. Because only four people in the history of the world were ever raised from the dead as a prefigure of the resurrection and conquering death. And this is one of them. So what is it? What has touched the heart of God? So the choice of Nain in its particular smallness and uniqueness points to something very, very critical to touching the very heart of God. Now we must not lose sight of the centrality of what's happening here, the event itself, that a dead man is being carried in a buyer. Let's call that a coffin, although we wouldn't, it wasn't a coffin, but let's just call it that, just for the sake of uh, being somewhat familiar. A buyer or a coffin, let's say it that way. So out of the city comes the crowd, and they're in the middle of the procession. And I feel today, I want to say it, I want to, I want to preach to you today, that as sure as I am standing here, I feel as though something is in progress. Somebody is moving in their lives, and it's not for sure what's happening, but I have come to assure you that God knows exactly what is happening in your life. Something here is supposed to give us a glimpse into the heart of God, into the heart of Jesus. And that something is the widowed mother. There is no question that this event does not center around the dead man. Neither of them are named. We know nothing of their name. But it is quite obvious from the telling Luke's account, because no other gospel, no other place in the entire Bible refers to this widow or her son or her circumstance. Therefore, the entire point, it seems to me, of now including a fourth individual. Now, I don't know there were only four people raised. How many knows that a lot of things may have happened? We don't know when it happened. It's not recorded. And you know, that's the kind of God we serve. Listen, if your God is too small to take care of you, then you've got the wrong one. Because I'm serving a God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows exactly what he's doing. Now, sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes I'm talking to somebody right now. Sometimes it's too hard to imagine. Like when the doctor walks in and says, your son has cancer. When the doctor walks in and said, your baby is not going to make it. I want to tell you that we're serving a God that is greater than any force in this world. And God is bigger. God is able. He knows. Now this troubles some people because I hear it often 
Being a minister, people will say, well, if God knows, why doesn't he do something about it? I hear that all the time. In other words, why don't I have money? Why don't I have this? Why is there sickness? They blame everything. Everything's blamed on God. And I said, that's exactly the wrong. That, you see, that's exactly what the devil's telling you. But that's not true. God is not responsible for all that is wrong in the world. He's responsible for all that is right in the world. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, Hallelujah. Something's going on in that something is the widowed mother. So not only did she lose her husband, but now her son. And when the Lord, verse 13, saw her, everybody say saw her. When the Lord saw her, so we're talking about the window into the heart of God. When the Lord saw her, and there it is, the Lord saw something. And it was not merely death. It was not a son. It was not a, a, a tombstone. What he saw was a widow that was weeping. And we know how she was weeping. I, I, hey, I'm gonna, I feel the Holy Ghost here. I'm feeling like God's trying to do something today. Beyond this, beyond this sermon, beyond this service, although everything's been gorgeous. And, and, uh, but how many knows that the problems of this world are bigger than sitting down and singing a few tunes and feeling the Holy Ghost get a little loud and so on? No, no. The problems of our world are far bigger than in between the pews of this church. What we need is a God that can walk with us to the gates of death itself. God is here to remind us of it. Hallelujah. All right, you're getting a little wound up there. When the Lord saw her, so the Lord saw something. And we know that it was, of course, her weeping because that is both what he said and what we are told. And the Greek uh, uh, language has several interesting words that have to do with the tone of your voice. The Greeks were very interesting in their entire process. I teach Greek, so, so give me a little slack here. That they, were, they had all kinds of ways of using the Greek language to express things. And if they wanted, for example, to tell you how young a child was, or how loud the voice was, or how intense the crying was, they had several words to do so. And the word klio in Greek is a word that means it was very intense of course literally very loud and so it was every once in a while we are reminded by the holy ghost that there are some things that are more important than our dignity what somebody thinks of us who's listening to us every once in a while there's a widow that comes along and she says I don't care what anybody says I need to let my voice out I need to weep before God and it was those very tears that Jesus heard saw her voice heard her voice crying out and the Bible said and Jesus had compassion on her. Could we just clap our hands for just a moment and thank God for a God that cares about us? Jesus had compassion on her. Now, compassion, of course, I know I'm, I'm being a bit uh, infantile, but I'm trying to, I want so much to say this and preach this in the next few moments. Compassion, we all know what it is, but let, let me just define it with the dictionary 
Not that that's the end of it, but just let me do it. Webster defines it with these words. I've cut some of the words out, but this is his words. Webster's dictionary. Pity with intent to help. It's not just looking at something and saying, oh, what a pity. Compassion is that uh, marvelous thing that goes beyond just recognizing it and even feeling bad about it. But pity that is linked with the intent to make a difference. And many dictionaries, including Webster, sometimes define it as with the word mercy. So that gives us a little bit more breadth of thought here of what it was that happened in Jesus when a woman he did not know, that is, he was not familiar with her, a son that was now dead and on his way to the very burial place, however it was arranged and Whatever the details, we, we don't know. We just know he was heading there. And then the widow begins to weep. Clio, I would simply say, weep loudly. Her weeping was with voice and tears, and she was not ashamed of it. Her plight, her circumstance, and so it was. And the Bible said Jesus, hearing it, heard her, saw her, had compassion on her. But let's not miss the fact that it was not merely the dead man. It was not merely the circumstances of life and death, as important as that is, of course, this is the resurrection of a dead man. But it is more than that. It is the story of Jesus himself Responding to a heart, to someone who is weeping before him. So it is the mother. And Jesus says to her, weep not. And then startles them all by defying Jewish law or tradition, whatever way you want to look at it. And he reaches out. And the Bible specifically says, and this is why we know he's drawing our attention. He reaches out. He moves toward the dead man, all because of the cries of a mother. And the Bible says he touches the buyer. He touches the, the casket, as it were. It doesn't say he touches the man. It says he touches the buyer, which in, in Jewish terms was the same thing because to touch that which pertained to a dead man and not hold it separate and so on, all of that was just prescribed by law. But Jesus stepped into a death scene and he reaches out and his heart is touched and suddenly he says, I'm going to go beyond what anybody else would allow. And I'm going to step in now. I'm not just here as a man. I'm stepping in as God. I'm, ste I'm stepping in as God. Hallelujah. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm acting like a Pentecostal. All right. Help me, Lord. Because I don't want to distract from the fact that we need to hear today what it is that touches the heart of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Friend, all of this is carefully 
described to be sure that we do not miss seeing into the very heart of Jesus. In fact, you know and I know the Holy Ghost is here. The presence of God is here. What is it that brings the presence of God? Is it a preacher wiping his, his, uh, his eyes? Is it, a, is it a church that's lifting its hand and jumping up and down? No, sir. It is when God hears the weeping of the mother. He hears that church. So let me speak forthrightly to each one in this place today. It was a weeping mother that moved Jesus to interrupt once again a funeral a fourth time. Just as it is now a weeping church that draws him to the gates of our cities. It's the church unmoved by the ridicule of the world. A church that hears and knows that there is death imminent and death at our gates but the church cries out for the plight of its sons and its daughters send revival to our hearts and our lives now I'm going to take great liberties here Lord I'm going to take great liberties I don't mean to say the only way to think of it and preach it is as I'm just here and now describing it because there are many other things as well but I say to you today under the anointing and direction of the Holy Ghost a church that cannot weep that cannot worship cannot see death conquered they do not know the truth of Easter they will never understand it they will never be watching chains break loose and life return in and among its own its own sons and its own daughters because it is going to be the cry of the mother that reaches out to the heart of God and we all know that Satan guards that key to death hell and the grave he's constantly He's so worried that it's going to all end because the Bible says that it does. And, uh, and uh, he believes that somehow, I, I don't know why he's such a, a deceived foe. He fell from heaven, then he's destroyed lives. But he is no match for a God whose heart is open to the cry of his people. So when you wonder what is it that we feel right now, we are feeling the very presence of a God who has reached over into our world and grabbed hold of it. You say, how can he do that? He's invisible. He's here. He's there. He can do it because he has so ordained it. When the church reaches out in faith, when you step into the house of God and you feel the glory of God and you respond by weeping before him. And I don't mean weeping only. Remember, weeping is more than tears. It is more than what comes from your eyes. Weeping is an emotion that brings all of that it is the voice it is the eyes it is the tears it is your entire self it's the waving of the hand he knows exactly what's in your heart and when the church says no sir I'm going to come before God and I will be heard folks you have just come into a place 
where Satan is nervous. A simple mother, a simple city. No one can even be sure how it got its name. Weeping for souls. Can we just lift our hands one more time and just give him a little bit of praise? I wonder, right, that's it. Somebody's needing to, that's it. I want you to just tell the Lord, Father, I'm, my intent and my purpose is to respond to you. So my friend, you should thank God that you have come to these gates in the presence of the Holy Ghost anointing. Altars where the presence of God can be felt. Where people are willing and committed to the power of God. To the purpose of God. To raise those dead in trespasses and sins from their lifeless march of defeat. And turn their lives around. Does anybody believe in that kind of deliverance here today? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody's believing God. I am trusting God. Hallelujah. So Jesus stopped that funeral procession in its tracks. And he spoke directly to the dead man. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And instantly it happened. There was an immediate change a dead man his death was changed to life and it shows too that you don't end up in a nothingness state when you die there is a soul and it can be drawn back into the body we're living in an age when people are playing uh, games with their eternity but God is true God is true his word is true. This is why Satan hates the word of God. So here a dead man. Now I, now I can call him a young man. I could have a moment ago, but I've been waiting for this moment to say it. And, uh, and so I want to say it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He said to him, young man. Did anybody notice that? didn't say he was an old man earlier. So young is young. Now how, what the age was, we're not given the exact age. But whatever young is, he cries out to him, young man, I say, I command, I speak to thee, arise. And instantly it happened. In fact, that very power is working in this service here today. Praise God. So his spirit made its way back into its source, into the body, not because of the final trumpet, because it was not the final trumpet, but because of the power of compassion of God responding to the tears of a people that believed in the Lord of heaven, a people that were standing crying out to God. Of course, in this case, it was a simple widow walking her way to the burial of her son. One time I was preaching uh, a particular uh, funeral situation. Please forgive me for this little insert. And uh, someone said to me, not in the funeral, not in that service. That was, it was a very special time. But someone else, uh, a uh, person at the university said, uh, you know, Talmud, you, you gave those people... Uh, all kinds of hope. You gave them all kinds of hope. And I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. 
because I thought that's what, you know, at the very least you'd want to give folks as much hope as possible. And, uh, and they said, well, but you, you're not going to be able to deliver. You don't know that. You don't know that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you, you have no way. You're on this side of life. You're offering to those people. You're telling them as though it was so easy and so, uh, I think he meant cavalier. He didn't say it, but I think he meant that I was just being a little too cavalier about it. That if you cry out to God, it's just going to happen. And I realized the great gulf that was between us because he was the same uh, minister that was very, very concerned about the fact that, that we didn't come in and, and uh, use certain kinds of water and, and do certain kinds of things and be very, very careful and wear a certain type of robe and all of that. And I said, listen, you can wear all of the robes you want. I have no problem with the robes, except they're a little hot. But other than that, wear them all day long. And the water, I won't bother with it. If you need to use it, you want to throw it in their face. And, and uh, they, what they were doing, and he was showing me how they throw, kind of take it like this. You know, you have to a certain way you do it. I won't describe it any further, but uh, like that, kind of in the water. And then they throw it on your face. Now, that sounds like I'm... So I'll just leave that because I don't want to intrude upon whatever they're doing with that water. Happy for them. Right there. And then that little bit of water gets on their face. And it's on their face. And, and that was so important. And I said, I, I'm going to just tell you right now. But just since you are worried, I'm giving people too much hope. Whatever is going on in all of the symbols you're using, I don't, I'm not going to ridicule them. I'm not going to say, oh, I don't do that and so on because I don't. Do you know I don't? But that, that's, uh, you know, I may just be a fool or whatever. I don't know to throw water in people's face, but that's my problem. But I will say right now that we serve a God of hope. You may be so hopeless that they have dug the hole for you. You may be so bound that you could never get out of it. But there is nothing. There are no chains that can hold the man. When the mother begins to cry out before God, there is nothing like the cry of faith. And that's why I act like I act. That's why I preach what I preach. Because nobody on drugs, nobody in gangs, nobody that sinned the most vilest sin, there is no one that God is not able to draw into his presence because it touches the heart of God. God sees every tear. He sees us here today. And he is moved by the cry of his people. Many in our day have religion with no tears and no power. But that's because somehow they've settled for that. But there's a little mother 
that doesn't care what anybody thinks, heading toward that gate. And Jesus, he doesn't just happen to be walking down that dusty road. No, he's ready to touch you. Doesn't have to be. Uh, Sheila, my sister says she'll remember that my older brother got the Holy Ghost. This was back almost 100 years now. He got the Holy Ghost at the university because he began to get hungry for it. He was, he was a mess. But he got the Holy Ghost in his Toyota Corolla. Is that still around? No? Okay. Still around. So that proves I'm right. He got the Holy Ghost, and on top of it, he got it in a yellow Toyota Corolla. I want to tell you right now, folks, there is something about the cry of God's people. When it reaches the heart of God, you may be sitting in your little vehicle outside the dorm. You may have been selling drugs. Your life may be a total mess, but God is able to turn it around with one touch of his hand because that is the hope that we have, a God that is bigger than all of our problems. I want our musicians to come. I want you to stand. Come on, let's stand. I'm almost there. Here we go. Hallelujah. Let's give him a little bit of praise as we stand together he's ready he's ready he's ready hallelujah he's bypassed all the big name places and he's come where he hears the voice of a mother he's here because his heart has been touched by the cry of his people all the other things, the mics, the, the, the fanciness, everything else, I'm all for it. But folks, if we cannot weep a tear, if we cannot touch his heart, then what are we doing here? It is urgent that you listen to this preacher today. And yes, I cannot preach and have not preached without tears. I told the Lord, can I preach that and not weep? No, I've, I've tried and I have not succeeded. But there is only one who can bring an end to the weeping and to the march of death. And that is the God who robed himself in flesh so that he might show us the very heart of God. So here's what I'd like us to do this morning. I'd like us to, and the musicians will play, and I want every saint of God in fact, before we do this, let's just lift our hands towards heaven. Let's thank him for his word right now, and let's talk to him for just a minute. Father, I thank you because your church is here. We're, a, we're, we're one of your churches over here on Terra. We're trying to make our way in this world, and we're asking that you would be touched by the cry of your people and that you would move with compassion upon our needs today so someone has loved you and that someone is God and he is moved by the cry of your heart 
So I'd like us to gather out. Saints, come on, just act like it's just simple, easy. Just step right out. I want us to come and pray. I want us to gather together for prayer. And we have guests here, and I want you to come and pray if you would like, because you may want to talk to the Lord this morning. But I don't want you to be fearful. Nobody's going to invade your space unless you ask for it. If you want to be prayed, we're praying for you. But I want you to come and pray together today because God will touch you. God is going to touch you because he has already moved in this place. And he will answer your need. And somebody today needs an answer from God. And maybe it's been a while since you've really prayed. Or maybe you're even worried about today. And you're worried that, uh, you know, that this is a little too emotional. I want you to just, by faith, say, I want to step out. And then I want us to pray. Church, would you lift your hearts and let's pray together. And all of the others, everybody else. Maybe you can't even make it to the front. But I want you to begin to talk to the Lord and use your voice. I see tears flowing. I feel the Holy Ghost moving. We're praying for one another. Hallelujah. We're praying for a world that needs resurrection. We're praying for the anointing. Hallelujah. Father, somebody has a need right now. And maybe they're... Maybe they're not even used to all of this. Yet you're you're moving upon them. So I pray that you'll give them, Lord, what their hearts desire. A world that needs the power of the resurrection is a world that needs to bypass the graveyard and the gravestones and walk right into the presence of God. Lord, we know that it is possible because you have done it for us. Lord, you saved us. You touched our lives. And somebody here wants the Holy Ghost, but they're nervous about it. They're nervous about speaking in tongues or about the emotion they feel. And so I pray for them right now. I lift my voice on their behalf. And I pray that maybe in the in their car or in their dormitory or in their living room or maybe down in this altar somewhere that they will begin to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Give life to them today. Let life come into their hearts, we pray. Hallelujah. 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 That's it. That's it. That's it. Your mercy, mercy, mercy. Thank you, Jesus. He's going to meet you. He's going to meet you right where you are. That's it. Don't worry about it. Just tell him, I need you, Jesus. I need your hope. And I need your power. Hallelujah. He sees your tears. He hears your cry. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right now, let's uh, let's cut the music just for a moment. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, someone today came to this place ready to receive what you have for them. And they don't even know the steps. They were waiting for you to come. Lord, they're having to weigh all of this and all the rest of it. But right now, Father, I pray for them. Lord, as the tears 
run down their face as their hearts are reaching out to you, Lord. Give them an assurance that your compassion and your heart is open to them right now. Can we just thank him? Just lift your hand toward him. Maybe this, maybe you're not even used to doing that, but just say, Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you because I'm trusting you. Not sure who to trust, but I do trust you, Lord. And so I'm putting my confidence in you, Jesus. They're going to sing this one more time. We're going to give it to the Lord. If you need whatever you need, just tell him.